It's the Locked On Aggies Podcast, presented by Locked On Podcast Network, talking all things Texas A&M. Now, here's your host, Cole Thompson. Howdy, everybody, and welcome back into another episode of Locked On Aggies, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat, talking all things Texas A&M, and it's Friday. We're bringing back an old-time tradition Locked on Aggies presents Asking Aggies. This is the part of the show where we look at some questions surrounding AM. Whatever it is, football, baseball, basketball, even if you want to go that route, you want to go with freaking water polo or ice hockey. I mean, we'll try and answer it. That doesn't mean we'll get it right, but we definitely won't answer it and do our best we can. But we have your questions loaded in, so we're going to get those answered during the next couple minutes. And we're also going to talk about the rebirth of the XFL. For those of you who don't know, the XFL started in 2001, ran by Vince McMahon and Dick Ebersol of ABC Productions. They went one year, unfortunately funding wasn't there, and the ratings completely dropped, ending after one season, never to be returned again. Most people know it from the line, he hate me. That is the biggest thing people know the XFL as. And with its return tomorrow, we're going to be looking at all eight teams because several Aggies have made the jump to the XFL side. So with that in mind, let's get the housekeeping things out of the way. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies. Locked on Aggies is the number one source of where you can find all of our information. Number two, Aggies SI. Uh, All Aggies, part of the Sports Illustrated Network and the Lockdown Podcast Network, have partnered together to give you quality content, including a vocal and audio sense. So you can check out all of our great work, including every single one of our podcasts at si.com slash tamu. And last but not least, if you want to follow me on social media, tell me what I'm doing right. Tell me what I'm doing wrong. Tell me what you like. Tell me what you hate. Just say hello. I love hearing from other people. It's just at Mr. Cole Thompson. It's really simple. My name is Cole Thompson. I'm a mister. That's it. Don't wear it out. At Mr. Cole Thompson, at Aggies SI, and at Locked on Aggies. So while we get started talking about the XFL, because that is making its long-awaited return tomorrow, the D.C. Defenders will take on the Seattle Dragons as part of the first game to take place. Uh, Later that afternoon, the Houston Roughnecks and the L.A. Wildcats will play on Saturday. You will then have the Dallas Renegades taking on the St. Louis Battlehawks and the Tampa Bay Vipers taking on the New York Guardians. There are eight teams just like there were in the original XFL, just like there were in the Alliance of American Football. And for any of you who are social listeners to the show, you know I worked exclusively with the San Antonio Commanders last season in the AAF as one of the eight teams. You had the Arizona Hotshots, the Atlanta Legends, the Birmingham Iron, the Memphis Express, the Orlando Apollos, the San Diego Fleet, the San Antonio Commanders, and the Salt Lake Stallions representing the brand new football league. That was poorly funded by Charlie Ebersol, the son of the original creator of the XFL. And unfortunately, a lot of good people lost their jobs during the process. So that's where we kind of were at for a while. And luckily, I was able to land on my feet with the SI gig as well as working for the Houston Astros part-time and also doing this as a side gig. It's a toughy, tough world when you work in this business. But you look at the XFL and what everything Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck have done to build this brand up as potentially a successful second league, per se, towards football season, there's a lot of promise that the XFL will be dominant or at least be productive more than the AAF ever was. According to a research poll, there is skeptability, though, looking at this league because of every single poll that I've seen 
it's not been a consensus, yes, I will be tuning in. It's been about a 35% automatic tuning in, but more so on the other side, about a 40% maybe I will tune in for the XFL season. I think the biggest thing with the maybe is you're going to look at what was going on with the plays. There's a lot of different rules in this XFL, such as the double pass, the new kickoff formation, the overtime rules. Every one of those moments looks like it's completely going to be something that factors in to a problem with this team. So I do think that there's a lot of positivity when it comes to the XFL. It's spring football. That's number one. Football is a dominant sport in America, and it's been voted on by pretty much the world as the second most popular sport behind football, and that's actually soccer. Anywhere else in the world, you hear it called football. But it's the second most popular sport in the world. It's growing overseas. One of the biggest things that you realize is the reason why the NFL and the NFLPA are so responsible of trying to move forward with football internationally is because of the plan is for one day there to be teams in possibly Mexico City and London and Toronto and Montreal. And you can go even further, maybe Scotland, maybe Ireland. There's a reason that they're pushing that. And that's why you see those games overseas, the three games in London and the one game in Mexico City every year, because of they're trying to expand on that. But also, with this league, you never really see football end. Football becomes that 24-7 year-round sport. Because the draft really is the start of the NFL season. And you can even argue it's really free agency. Free agency starts in March. Late March, mid-late March is when free agency really starts kicking up. And then a month later, you go right into the NFL draft. And then a month after that, you go right into uh, uh, OTAs and rookie camps. And then a couple months after that, you really don't have anything in June. And then in late July, early August, you have the start of training camp. And then you have preseason. And then sooner or later, we know that it's September and we're back in the regular season. We go all the way until February. And then a week after the Super Bowl, the XFL starts. It's a 10-week season and you have two weeks of playoffs. That's 12 weeks and it will end right before the NFL draft. So during this entire process, you're really never turning football off. And that, I think, is what's going to sell with the XFL where the AAF lasted. I can tell you right now, from a rating standpoint and from a fan spectacle standpoint, it wasn't just San Antonio. It was the entire league was successful with a fan standpoint. It wasn't successful because of financial reasons. But when you have over 30,000 people inside a stadium for a brand new football team, that just shows how dominant the league could be. But you don't really want to hear more about the league or what I think. Do I think the league will succeed? I give it one year for sure. I want to see what happens in that first year. And if they are able to make those ratings and make that jump. And if so, I do believe that you could see spring football. And it can last. I 100% believe that. But more importantly, who are some Aggies playing in this league? Well, if you want to stay close to the Lone Star State, look no further than the Houston Roughnecks. They will feature Avery Genesee, a former uh, offensive guard, offensive tackle at AM. He will actually be the starting right tackle from what I've been told by people for the Houston Roughnecks. He'll be playing tomorrow at 4 o'clock down at TDECU Stadium. So if you want to get tickets, go check that out. Uh, going to Seattle, there's one running back, Trey Williams. He was a former 1,000-yard rusher. 
He won all SEC freshman punt returner of the year. He's going to be dominating as the number one running back for the Seattle Dragons. They'll be playing in Audi Field out in D.C. And if you go to St. Louis, there's two running backs in Keith Ford, former transfer from Oklahoma, goes to uh, goes to A&M, becomes a secondary runner, then immediately the lead runner, and Christian Michael. Christian Michael is one of the more dominant runners we know, drafting the second round out of Texas A&M to the Seattle Seahawks, won a Super Bowl, was part of a championship program. He was the first pick for St. Louis. They will be returning to the Lone Star State to Globe Life Park. That's right, Globe Life Park, not Globe Life Field. Globe Life Park, where the Texas Rangers played. He will be taking over there with St. Louis to face the Dallas Renegades. We have a ton more to talk about on the show, and one of the biggest things that we love to talk about is asking Aggies, talking about questions that you want answered, and we'll be breaking down some of them in just a quick moment. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked On Aggies presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. And guys, let me ask you two quick questions. One, are you listening to all the great shows on the Locked On Podcast Network? Two, if you said yes, heck yes. If you said no, why not? Seriously, we have over two dozen college football shows ready for your listening ears. Plus, on top of that, we now have NBA news after the trade deadline. Which teams are looking like playoff contenders? The NHL. We have the NHL All-Star Game coming up. One of the better All-Star Games in my personal opinion. Spring training is about to commence. Pitchers and catchers will report to Florida and Arizona next week. We have a ton of baseball shows. And NFL free agency is right around the corner. So make sure you check out all of our great podcasts at LockedOnPodcast.com. Returning back to Asking Aggies. Yep, this is the part of the show where I answer questions that you believe are worthy of bringing up around this time of the year. Asking Aggies is a great part of the show. It's something that I really admire, and it helps build a listening brand. So we're just going to start breaking some of these down. We have enough for two segments, so why don't we start off? This comes from Jared. Who was your favorite signing from the 2020 National Signing Day class for Texas A&M? That's a pretty good one. I'm going to go with two players. I'll go one on each side of the ball. Uh, Demon Demos for offense. That's definitely the guy for offense. It's not even a question. I think Devin Acne would be a secondary guy. He's a guy that I think definitely is someone you look at and you wonder if he's going to be some type of multi-purpose player. But we don't really know what he's going to be right now. Demon Demos, we know, is going to start. Or get some quality reps his freshman year. You don't play a five-star. The best way I can say it is you don't have a Porsche and you leave it in the garage all day. He is a Porsche. He is a crown jewel. And also what I mean by that is, originally he was the only five-star Texas A&M got. Jalen Jones did not earn that five-star rep for a while. 
In fact, when you look back at his stats, he wasn't a five-star until after he signed with Texas A&M. And those were the two five-stars. Damos is a guy who has pure straight-line speed. But he also has that physicality that you want in a split end. With Kendrick Rogers going towards the NFL, leaving a year early, which we're not going to get into. We can actually, there's a question on that later. When you look at what he's going into now and what's left on the roster, Cameron Buckley is your next big-time receiver, and I don't think he's ready to take that step. I think Demon Demos definitely could. And the reason why I think a lot of people are low on him right now is because they didn't get to see him play a tomball. He went to a better school, and the UIL in Texas did not allow him to play this year. It wasn't on him. He didn't say, oh, I want to sit out for a year, let my body heal, and then come in. He wanted to play. The UIL rules did not allow him to. So now what we got to see in the Polynesian Bowl out in Hawaii... You pair that now with Jimbo Fisher in the offense and what he's going to be able to do this summer, he's going to be a riser. And he's going to be a name that because of now with Anaya Smith moving to the running back position, there's now two starting slots for wide receiver next year. And both are probably going to be on the outside with Courtney Davis and Kendrick Rogers gone. So there we go for offense. We're going to be able to see Damos step up immediately and probably be a day one contributor. Defensively, Jalen Jones. Again, It's a five-star. He's a Porsche. You don't leave it in the garage. This was the number one safety in the state of Texas. He's now going to play cornerback in Jimbo Fisher's offense. When you look at what cornerbacks are able to do in these offenses, it just speaks volume of what the success is at that position. You have to be a player who knows how to play physical defense if you want to play cornerback in a Jimbo Fisher defense. Jones was the number one safety for Cibolo Steel. They're moving him down because they think that he's going to fit better because of his physicality. They're going to move Elijah Blades or Brian George inside and let Miles Jones probably get some reps here and there. But they're going to go get Jalen Jones to start immediately. That's why I think that he is a guy who will probably earn, by midseason, starting reps. 100%. Other guys I think that could be definitely pro players, maybe not starters. Uh, McKinley Jackson, the guy they signed on Wednesday as part of the National Signing Day group. Uh, Javon Hubbard, another one. I think he's going to be kind of exposure. Uh, Acne, I mentioned him. He's going to be someone I think used in a multi-purpose role. And if they're going to use a linebacker, I go Antonio Doyle. I think he fits more of what Mike Elko is going to want in a scheme. And Edger and Cooper, the other number one linebacker from Louisiana, may take a little more time. So those guys I think could be role players. But Damos and Jones, expect them to start from day one. Let's get one more question out before we go take a little break. Uh, this comes from Agzo3. Biggest regret leaving early. I mentioned his name earlier. I'm going to stick with this one. Kendrick Rogers. When you look at his production from his sophomore year, I talked to a lot of guys when I went down to Mobile in the Senior Bowl. They were very high on him going into the draft process for the 2019 season. Then he had a leg injury. And then he missed time. And then he was unable to connect with Kellen Mott. And then he had two touchdowns. 
And then he was pretty much immobile for the rest of the season. And then he declares for the NFL draft after a down year. We've seen players outplay their draft stock entirely. But the problem with Rodgers is I don't know where his draft stock sits right now. He's a big frame receiver, which definitely will play into his favor. He's a guy who has played against the top-level competition in the SEC. And he's someone you look at on paper and go, he has all the intangibles I want in a big frame receiver at the next level. But then you look at his hands, his miscommunication skills with Kellen this past year, his speed is going to be a big factor, and his willingness to play outside of just wide receiver, special teams. Add all that together, if you don't know for sure he's going to be someone that will be a contributor, you probably pick him up as a free agent priority guy. You don't use a draft pick on him. You find out where he's going next, and then when he does, you see if he can make a name for himself that way. And players all the time find a way to be successful as free agents. There's never a doubt on that. But maybe if you come back, you don't worry about Davis taking away so many catches. You teach some of the younger guys. Maybe Kellen doesn't target the tight ends as much next year. Maybe you finish the year with eight touchdowns instead of two. Or ten touchdowns and a thousand yards. And then you go from being maybe a seventh round to a camp body to a fourth round draft class in a year where the wide receiver position isn't as strong. The wide receiver position is good next year, but it's ridiculous. Ridiculous for the 2020 class. I just look at that move and I just, I question it. Davis, I wasn't super high on either going out, but I get it. Because he at least had some production and he graduated. Rodgers, I think, needed one more year. If you would have given him that one more year, I think he would have flourished at the next level. We still have a ton of questions that we want to get answered and there's definitely more things that we can talk about. So why don't we just come back and answer those questions in a quick minute. Locked on Aggies presented by the Locked on Podcast Network. Cole Thompson here in the driver's seat talking all things Texas A&M. Guys, just a quick reminder, if you are wanting to check out more on the Locked on Podcast Network, especially Locked on Aggies, follow these three social media sites to help make your day a brighter one. At Locked on Aggies, at Mr. Cole Thompson, and at Aggies SI. We tweet out all of our information from all three sites. You're definitely going to go check all of those out. Going back to Asking Aggies, part of the show where we look at some of the things that we want to talk about in any type of AM world. We have three questions left. I'm going to try and get through each of them pretty fast. This is my favorite one. I'll save it for last. So why don't we start with this next one? Coming from AggieFan2010. Yeah, 2010-2010, my bad. What is the realistic expectation of Texas AM for the 2020 season? It's a good one. Um the biggest thing that I take away is that Colorado is not going to be a cakewalk win, but they should win that game. And Mississippi State could be a trap game, and so could Auburn. But I don't think all three are trap games. I think that KJ Costello joining in Starkville will be dangerous because you're getting a guy who is known for being a West Coast-style player. You're putting him in the Pac-12 with Mike Leach, who 
is an air raid guy. And you're getting Kylan Hill back. With that, I think that Mississippi State and the fact that A&M has not won in Starkville since 2012, I believe, that makes it a trap game. But I think that they still get a win. Same with Colorado. Without LaVishka Sinault and Steven Montez, Mel Tucker may put it together a really good defensive plan, but I'm not sold on the offense just yet. So I have to go with A&M. And then Auburn, I think, is a game where if they lose, it's because of what Chad Morris has been able to do with mobile quarterbacks. A lot of people forget that the reason Todd Boyd was able to bring Clemson to relevance and also the start of Deshaun Watson was because of what Chad Morris was able to do with the quarterback position as the offense coordinator. I think that that would be the bigger of the trap games. But going into the break, I could see A&M being 6-0. For sure. I think they'll beat Ole Miss for, without a doubt. I think they're going to beat LSU. I think LSU will take a step back. Maybe a 9-3 team. But they're not going to go back to the college football playoff next year. This was one of those years where they were the best team because they had probably the best quarterback in the nation. And Tua Tungavailoa was very good for Alabama, and I'm an Alabama alum. But Joe Burrow was on a new level, and he was going to win the Heisman, I think, by midseason. When he showed it against Texas, that showed that he was going to be something special, and LSU was in for a special year. I don't think they're in for that next year. And then Alabama, who's still Alabama. I think realistically, an SEC championship is not far out of reach. If they finish outside of being the number two seed in the SEC West, it's a down year for AM. But 10 and 2 and 11 and 1 with a loss to Alabama or a loss to Alabama and Auburn, those are easy ways to look at this team and go, they are, they are improving. The goal should be college football playoff, the settling should be a New Year's Six Bowl. There's no way AM should not be in a New Year's Six Bowl if the veteran talent and the youthful talent that impressed in 2019 come over to 2020. Question number two, how scary should we be looking at AM basketball this year? I kind of look at it like how we do with Jimbo Fisher. You know you brought him in for the long haul, and that's exactly what you did with Buzz Williams. You didn't bring in Buzz to fix the team in a year. You brought him in to spice up the offense, find a rhythm, build a community, start better recruiting, and also take this team to new heights. Offensively, in the paint, he's doing that. He's creating a new scheme that allows this team to score easy and score early. And I definitely think that he's improving the roster. Yeah, they did lose to a Georgia team that was 1-6 in the rankings. They're going to go to South Carolina tomorrow, and they could be back to another losing streak against Frank Martin's squad. But overall, this team is taking steps in the right formation. And with the guys they're expecting to be adding for the future... I think that AM, if they are able to keep guys like Emmanuel Miller and Andre Gordon around, before they graduate or their graduating year, AM will be back in the tournament. 
And I do think that this year they could be at least going to the second round of the SEC tournament. And I think that that's promise. That's more promise than we've seen from a team in a while. Me personally, that's what I think. Last question that's going to be asked. What would I put for a signing mark for Ryan Tannehill? I go maybe two years, $45 million. That'd be the most. Or I would go maybe one year, $30 million. Here's why. Tannehill has shown his success in 2019. Every other season, and sure, part of that could be because of what we've seen from quarterbacks in the past and what they've done, but every other season, Tannehill has been very average, maybe even below average. He hasn't taken those steps that you want in a franchise quarterback, and he's 31 this year. I mean, you're looking at what Case Keenum got paid in Denver and what Washington paid to bring him over. You're looking at what Nick Foles got paid, what Brock Osweiler skimmed out of the NFL for one good year. I think that this team in Tennessee can win if they keep Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill. But you have to offer Tannehill something small because you don't know if he's going to balance out. And they're going to draft a quarterback probably in the second round. I think they have to. I would give him a two-year deal with maybe a three-year option. $50 million max is what I would be given. Because I've seen these other deals that quarterbacks are getting. And the future is not Foles in Duval County. Jacoby Brissett is not the answer in uh, in Indianapolis. He's Deshaun Watts is the only quarterback in the AFC West that will be there in five years. Right now, starting to begin the year. Maybe Garner Minshew too. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's a one-year wonder. But I'm only going to pay a guy who's 31 years old and has been too inconsistent at the quarterback position, top dollar money, but I can go draft a guy who's younger and maybe has more upside. No offense to Tannehill. I think he's a good quarterback. He had a tremendous year, went 7-3 and three as a starter and 10 starts. You cannot deny that he was the reason that the team stayed afloat. But in the playoffs, it was Derrick Henry that was making the plays, not Ryan Tannehill. And I'm not going to pay him top dollar money. But that's going to do it for this edition of Locked on Aggies. Make sure you're following us on social media at Locked on Aggies, at Mr. Cole Thompson, and at Aggies SI. We will be back on Monday to break down the South Carolina game. Make sure that you tune into that. We will see you. Have a great weekend. We will see you Monday. And remember, thank you, y'all. This has been Locked on Aggies, presented by the Locked on Podcast Network.